It seems like another era, but it was not quite four years ago, in November 2014, when I interviewed Senator John McCain for the last time. He was about to take over the Senate Armed Services Committee as its new chairman. The immediate angle for my piece was a personal one. McCain, old friends and colleagues told me, had never quite gotten over his 2008 defeat by Barack Obama, a loss that still gnawed at him. I don't think there's a night he doesn't go to sleep, stare at the ceiling and think, how did I lose to Obama, one veteran GOP strategist told me, a quote I included in the piece. Now, as Armed Services Committee Chair, McCain could extract his revenge and torment his old rival with hearings and investigative reports that would expose what he viewed as Obama's feckless foreign policy for failing to stand up to Vladimir Putin's Russia and cozying up to the Iranian regime in pursuit of a nuclear accord. But there was something else that McCain told me in that interview that blew me away. Just a year earlier, McCain had met a Syrian regime photographer who had defected to the West, a man who went by the codename Caesar. Caesar had smuggled out of the country a cache of photographs documenting the torture of the regime of Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. The photos were stomach-turning. Emaciated, bruised, and burned bodies of dead victims lined up row after row, men and women who had been murdered in Assad's prisons for the crime of protesting his government's human rights abuses. I had written about these photos, and they had been shown at the Holocaust Museum, evidence that the horrors of the Nazi era were not just an aberration of the past, but still with us in the 21st century. Nothing got McCain more passionate that day than when I asked him about his meeting with Caesar and those photos. I look at them on my desk every day, McCain told me. They are horrifying. They remind me not to give up. These are crimes against humanity. Until the last Syrian rebel is standing, I will do everything I can to help them, he said. Think about it. A United States senator who kept photos of torture victims on his desk. How many members of Congress do that? You can say a lot of things about McCain, and his critics did that he was a hawkish warmonger, that he was often cranky and irritable and had an explosive temper, and that his flaws were sometimes covered up by a news media whose most prominent members he flattered and even sucked up to. But that interview was a reminder that whatever else he was and did, John McCain had a sense of moral conscience and a passion for quixotic causes unlike very few in public life. As the country remembers John McCain this week, We'll discuss those traits on today's Buried Treasure. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. You know, Dan, I, when I uh, think back on McCain, uh, you know, I spent time with him as a lot of reporters in Washington did. I was on that famous 2000 Straight Talk Express uh, in, in South Carolina, uh, interviewed him many times. But um, that interview about torture is the one that really sticks with me. Yeah, and, and I, I think in the end, um, his uh, fighting against torture in a very consistent and passionate fashion for many, many years is going to end up being a considerable uh, part of his legacy. Uh, in your introduction there, that very nice eulogy um, that you just gave, um, you know, he the words you used were moral conscience and passion. And I think that was really the difference between McCain and so many other politicians uh, in Washington. Look, a lot of people uh, criticized uh, 
the the Obama administration, the Bush administration, um, and uh, and use a lot of moral language. Um, but the difference with McCain was when he spoke, you knew that it was born of of real conviction um, and uh, conviction based and personal experience and and personal right? ex- I mean, and personal experience exactly. Um, you know, I, I look on the subject of torture. Uh, he he thought it was immoral, but he also uh, made very strong arguments that it did not work. Um, and he knew that from personal experience. Um, when he was uh, being tortured uh, at the hands of his North Vietnamese captors um, uh, in the uh, Hanoi Hilton, um, they, they wanted him to give up the names of, of his squadron. And, uh, you know, instead of just giving them, uh, you know, his name, his... Uh, uh, his serial number, uh, you know, that litany of information that, that prisoners often uh, give in the movies. Um, he wanted to end the torture. So what did he do? He gave them the names of the offensive line of the Green Bay Packers. It was not useful information. It was not true, but he, want, he, he felt he needed to end the torture. So he knew from his own personal experience that you lie just to end the torture. Um, I wanted right. to say one other thing about uh, about. McCain and torture. You know, he yes, he was driven uh, by these moral imperatives, um, but he was also pragmatic. Um, and I remember interviewing him uh, for a Newsweek cover story uh, back in 2005 uh, about torture, and we pressed him at the time about the so-called tip- ticking time bomb scenario. And he recognized that you know a time might come, say, if Al Qaeda had a nuclear bomb hidden away somewhere in New York. Uh, that a president might have to resort uh, to torture in order to prevent a catastrophic attack that could kill thousands of innocent civilians. But in those instances, he argued, a president might have to disobey the law and then and then take responsibility for that, much in the same way uh, that you know Lincoln suspended habeas corpus during the Civil War. But what he said to me at the time was, we should not write in an exception to the law. Uh, and, and, and basic human rights that could become a kind of slippery slope. That, you know, it's far better to, and this is what he said, it's far better to embrace a standard that might be violated in extraordinary circumstances than to lower our standards to accommodate a remote contingency, confusing personnel in the field, uh, and sending precisely the wrong message abroad about America's purposes and practices. So he never wavered on this issue of torture, uh, and yet he did have that kind of streak of pragmatism. He understood that right. there could be rare instances in which it would be necessary, but a p- leadership re- required a president to take responsibility for it. Right, and think about it. He was as uh, fierce a, a, a defender of the Iraq war as anybody in the Bush administration. Uh, he was obviously uh, a, 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 a hawk when it came to al-Qaeda and the war on terror. But unlike so many in the Bush administration and in the CIA, he drew this very strong moral line you cannot cross this line. We cannot, we, the United States, cannot engage in torture. And uh, that was a courageous uh, and uh, sometimes lonely stand for a conservative Republican, which is what McCain was, uh, especially during the Bush era. Absolutely. And going back to uh, those those Caesar pictures, uh, which you wrote about for Yahoo News, uh, I think we're going to hear uh, a little bit of, of color um, uh, in terms of, of how 
John McCain um, uh, reacted to the uh, sadistic depravity of the of the Assad regime. We've got uh, uh, Muaz Mustafa joining us uh, momentarily. Exactly. Mike, tell us um, about him. Muaz Mustafa is uh, the Syrian American activist who introduced uh, John McCain to Caesar, brought Caesar to Washington, uh, and took him around uh, to a lot of places, but um, uh, brought him in to see John McCain. We now have on the line with us Muaz Mustafa, who is the uh, activist in Washington who introduced Caesar to Senator McCain, um, Waz, tell us how that meeting came about. Sure. Well, um, Senator McCain, uh, I have to say, first of all, that our heartfelt prayers, thoughts, and sympathies from both my organization, the Syrian Emergency Task Force, and, and more broadly from the Syrian people uh, are all praying for, for him, for his family. Uh, I would say unequivocally, uh, Syria lost its biggest ally and Senator McCain. And um, I have had the pleasure and the privilege, really, and honor of, of meeting with Senator McCain and accompanying him on his visit to Syria in 2013. Um, and since day one of the Syrian uprising, the, the nonviolent revolution for the first nine months, and then as things deteriorated, Senator McCain was a staunch supporter of the Syrian people. And naturally, uh, when Caesar, uh, the the photographer who defected with the 55,000 photographs and documentation condemning the regime for torture in prisons, uh, one of the first people that Caesar himself wanted to go and see and personally thank for for his solidarity and stance was was Senator John McCain. And so, uh, on Caesar's first visit to the United States, when he testified in front of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Um, uh, one of the first meetings uh, during that visit was with the senator uh, in his office. Uh, and it was one of the most powerful meetings uh, and really one that increased the, the morale and, and gave uh, sort of a boost to Caesar to continue on with the work. Um, and I remember when, when that meeting happened, uh, the senator had the photographs on his desk. And, and I remember him uh, slamming them down emotionally on his desk and telling Caesar that it's a shame that, that a never-again moment is, is literally unfolding while most of the world has failed to act. So it was a very powerful was, meeting. Uh, and was, it was, That was yeah. something that Senator McCain said to me, that when he saw the photographs and met with Caesar, he said he was ashamed. What was he ashamed about? I think that the senator um, was expressing the fact that he was ashamed at the lack of policy, uh, at least in terms of the United States towards Syria. Of course, the senator has met had met with with uh, Caesar after President Obama's uh, you know red line and then the huge chemical weapons attack in which no consequences for the regime or no actions were taken minus the, the failed Russian deal to get rid of the chemical weapons, which obviously failed since the regime has used not only chlorine, but sarin multiple times since then. Uh, and I think that's an example of what the senator felt ashamed. He felt ashamed that the United States uh, 
did not do as much as it could have to prevent civilian deaths in Syria um, under you know during that time, and and I think he felt that way throughout uh, throughout the conflict, knowing that that we need to be doing more, uh, but 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 unfortunately did not. And in Syria, of course, is has deteriorated since that meeting, and and today we wait another possible atrocity in Idlib province as military of the Assad regime, Russia and Iran, prepare a new offensive. Um, Senator McCain, too, I think a number of trips uh, to the Syrian border to meet with Syrian rebels. Um, he really believed that the United States had an important role to play in supporting the Syrian resistance to Assad. I think that Senator McCain really understood the conflict. Um, he followed it from its very beginning. He understood the dangers that came with inaction as horrible atrocities were taking place, that, that the policy of what some might have seen as containment, which obviously failed with, with uh, you know, millions of refugees in the region and in Europe, uh, and, and, you know, the, the other, you know, everything from national security concerns to, to terrorist attacks and to other things that have happened in the region. Um, and, and so he, he wanted to always be there. He wanted to meet with the people, with the medical workers, with uh, the internally displaced, with the refugees, with our military servicemen and women that were in the region, which he cared very deeply about, but also with the democratic opposition, those that were fighting simultaneously against al-Qaeda and ISIS and the Assad regime, Iran, Hezbollah, and, and their allied militias. Uh, and he believed that it wasn't a choice between ISIS or Assad, uh, that neither, you know, that Syria did not belong under an Iranian-Russian occupation, as things stand today, uh, and, and that Syria, that there were people in Syria that deserved our support, deserved our solidarity, and deserved our, our protection. M Moaz, and he wanted to see them, and he did. Moaz, uh, first of all, I, I think uh, I recall that uh, uh, Senator McCain uh, defied um, the State Department, uh, which uh, uh, did not uh, want to give him permission to go into Syria, he did that anyway, which says something about his personal conviction. But talk a little bit about, uh, in in concrete kind of um, uh, 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 concrete terms, um, w what it means to people who are fighting for liberty, willing to give up their lives, um, sacrifice sacrificing um, in such powerful ways to have someone. Uh, like uh, Senator McCain in the United States Senate, Senate um, with the kind of influence uh, that he had, uh, and 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 what the, what his loss represents to people around the world who are fighting for liberty. You know, um, as soon as I heard the news, uh, I, I sent uh, you know to those people that I knew were very close friends of Senator McCain, some of his close staff, uh, you know, a text reminding them that today uh, people of almost every religion in different places are praying for a man uh, that meant so much to them. And, and whenever, you know, he, he sort of, he, he always, you know, took solidarity with, with, with people that were oppressed, that were seeking freedom, uh, and, and always thought that it was the duty of the United States not only to ensure our security and freedoms here at home, but also to be a shining city on the hill in the sense that it was it, it should live up to its ideals and statements in supporting democracies 
and movements uh, around the world. When he went, um, for example, to, to Syria, just speaking with, with these individuals um, during the visit, after the visit today, as, as everyone has heard the, 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 the news, the sad news of his passing, it meant to them more than someone bringing them millions of dollars, someone bringing them food and water, which they almost always desperately even needed under sieges and so on. It meant the world to them to see that emotional support, to see someone who knew their suffering, cared for it, and cared for it enough not only to regularly stand up for them uh, at a time when the Syrians honestly felt deserted by everyone, but to take time to go and see them, meet with them, comfort them. And you hear those stories so many times, even by, by people, you know, here in the U.S., the center always calls whenever, you know, he could if someone's loved one was, you know, taken away or, or something else. And, and so to these people, to the Syrian people at large and to those that he met personally during his many trips to the region, including inside the country, um, it was the glimmer of hope in which, which was the only thing that they have and continue to have and live on. Uh, at a time when they see all odds are completely stacked against them and, and no one, you know, is, is going to protect them. It was, it was the hope that some people cared and knew and will continue to fight alongside them, even if it's coming to a horrendous ending. Um, and, and so I cannot begin to describe the, the, the sort of hope that, that they had in their hearts, knowing that Senator McCain was out there, uh, and, and the sort of, sadness that they feel today knowing that their champion um, is gone. And look, I'm, I'm a Democrat and I'm speaking about a, a Republican senator who I didn't agree with on everything, but, but I can't think of a Republican or Democrat or anyone that stood so valiantly with, with such strong values and ideals that honestly make me proud to be American like this senator. Uh, and and he's, he's done that. He's exported our values to the world through his sort of single-handedly doing the right thing to the best of his abilities within the parameters of bigger policy or a president that didn't go along with him uh, or different administrations and so on. Moaz, uh, just back to the um, Caesar photos for a moment, because uh, it uh, is always uh, amazes me that more people don't know about these photographs, haven't seen them uh, because they are so horrific. Um, tell us a little about how Caesar came to take these photographs and uh, how he came to bring them out of Syria and to the attention of uh, people in the West. It's truly an incredible story. And I, I was speaking to Caesar just uh, actually a couple of hours ago, and he was, he was talking, you know, he, he wanted me to, to, he wanted to send a message out to, to the family of the senator and, and was asking how to go about it. Um, but, you know, this is a simple man who's apolitical, wasn't with the regime, wasn't with the opposition, worked within the bureaucracy of the Ministry of Defense for many years, was in charge during, right before the revolution and, and, and then during the time that he was in there for two and a half years, of taking photographs of any accidents or incidents that happened under the auspices of the Ministry of Defense. So there was a drowning or a suicide or, or a fire, he would go to the scene and take photos. But at the beginning of the uprising, which by the dictator's own admission, again, was at the beginning nine to 12 months of nonviolent peaceful protests, from day one, uh, he was asked to go take photos of what was told to him were instances of uh, cardiac arrest. When he arrived that first day, he noticed 15 bodies that he perceived as civilians who were very obviously, very heinously tortured to death. Uh, and quickly went back, uh, talked to a trusted 
uh, friend uh, about what he had seen and asked for help to defect to leave the country. Um, the, the response was, you know, sure, we can help you get out, but would you stay, you know, knowing that you're being asked to document this on behalf of the state? And very bravely and surprisingly, Caesar agreed. And so for two and a half years, this man, uh, uh, if he gets caught by the opposition, he's dead. If he gets caught by the regime, he's dead. Took photographs on a daily basis, uh, leaving finally with 55,000 pictures of men, women, children, elderly, Christians and Druze and Kurds and Arabs, even Alawites, uh, that have been tortured mercilessly to death. Uh, and was able to, using a flash drive every single day, take those back, put them on his friend Sammy's computer. Uh, and then when things got too hairy, uh, through another sort of miraculous operation, uh, was able to escape the country with the 55,000 photos, including many documents that showed command responsibility. And what is unbelievable is that most people don't know about this. And, and the fact is, if anyone sees those photos, and the only ones we've put out are the most palatable ones, they would see that what is unfolding is parallel to some of the worst times in history. Um, you know, you, you've, you've got proof that this has happened, but continues to happen to hundreds of thousands of people that remain in detention. Caesar alone uh, took 55,000 photos. Uh, with uh, the, the, during the you know it's about eleven thousand individuals that that were that were tortured to death. That was only in Damascus and only for two and a half years, uh, from April 2011 to to September 2013, and and so a snapshot both both in time and geography. But today the pictures remain on display at the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum, where I advise anyone who comes and visits Washington to go to that amazing institution, one of the only institutions that has stood uh, by us to help raise the alarm of ongoing never again moment uh, and see those photos for, for themselves. But I wish the media and I wish everyone spend more time to show the world what's unfolding today as, as we're on this uh, podcast. Was, um, I, I appreciate very much you talking about this because, you know, a lot of people did see those photographs in the U.S. government. I know mm -hmm. you were instrumental in showing yeah. them to people at the White House under President Obama. Samantha Power at the United Nations broke down in tears when she saw the photographs and spoke uh, eloquently at the United Nations about them. But um, very few, uh, if anybody, uh, was as passionate for as long a period of time about the torture those photographs showed and his determination to do something about it as Senator John McCain. And you mentioned you spoke to Caesar, I think, just uh, today. Uh, and yes, uh, yes, I think you mentioned uh, earlier when we spoke that he uh, expressed an interest in actually uh, attending Senator McCain's funeral. Yes, yes. He, he, he called and he said, anything you can... You know, any you know, anything you can do to help me, I, I would be honored to attend his funeral. Uh, he wants to send, uh, you know, when he was here last time, uh, just a, maybe a month or so ago, uh, he uh, went and and uh, had gotten a gift and, and, and a card and so on for the Sanders family and, and delivered it to his office, knowing that he wasn't in the office uh, then. And, and so there is such a huge amount of gratitude to the senator from Caesar personally. But like you said, no one like Senator McCain 
took those photos to heart. He viewed those individuals as 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 his own family. As as you know, he he looked at each person not as a number, but but as someone who had a life, who had parents, who had friends, and and that was so powerful that even later on when we did an event at the Capitol where he spoke, he he reminded everyone again that he keeps those photos and he really did on his desk every day for the rest of his service to this country and as, as a reminder while so many politicians yes showed outrage some cried and so on but outrage with no action and and often they they turned a blind eye later they turned away and didn't want to hear about it anymore i imagine the senator i he, imagine Muaz, that the 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 uh, admiration was mutual that uh, senator mccain uh was awed by um by uh, Caesar's courage and willingness yes. uh, to put himself on the line and risk his own life uh, to this very day uh, to uh, bring attention to these horrific crimes. I think the senator saw Caesar as, as a true hero, not just a national hero of Syria, but a hero of humanity. And never, any time we made a request, if there was a Caesar exhibit uh, that the senator could speak at, we're showing the photos, uh, whenever Caesar came in town, um, just his embrace of Caesar, his, you know, and, and what was really powerful was how much he was able to uplift Caesar. You know, you put yourself in Caesar. This guy came out, risked everything, his family, everything to show the world something. And then the world did nothing about it. And and to, to have someone like the senator that regarded Caesar so highly, uh, be able to uplift him in such a way to allow Caesar to persevere in his mission is something that that uh, I I will never forget, and I know that that Caesar uh, is uh, you know has felt so lucky and humbled to to have gotten to to meet the senator and and, and to thank him personally for all that support. Moaz Mustafa, thank thank you for joining us today to talk about. Thank you, these sir. Thank you both. Thanks, senator. Mike. Thanks, Dan. Hey, Mike, that was uh, that was really pretty uh, moving uh, and powerful stuff. Um, uh, what a uh, amazing story, uh, the, the story of Caesar and the relationship between Caesar and um, and John McCain. Um, but you actually um, had an opportunity uh, to take C- Caesar's uh, photographs um, and confront um someone who uh, is really responsible, uh, entirely responsible, really, for, uh, uh, for the, that, that her, those horrific uh, murders and, 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 and horrible torture uh, uh, back in, uh, in February of 2017. Why don't you tell our listeners about, uh, about that episode? Yeah, it, it was uh, last year, year and a half ago, I uh, had the chance to uh, interview uh, Bashar al-Assad himself in Damascus. Uh, It was set up by uh, a a supporter in the United States of the Assad regime. Uh, And, um, you know, we flew to Beirut. You couldn't fly into Damascus. Uh, We went, uh, uh, drove through the Bekaa Valley to Syria, on to Damascus. The, uh, The war was obviously still going on. I remember my first night there, you heard uh, the booms of cannon fire in the distance. Um, and the next day, I interviewed um, Assad. And I remember I was um, 
uh, quite conflicted about how he was going to handle this because I knew, based on my um, uh, writing about the Caesar photos, the time I'd spent with Moaz Mustafa, and my interview with Senator McCain, that I wanted to confront Assad with those photographs. But I was a little concerned uh, if I brought the photographs in on my person, would the uh, uh, Syrian security officials uh, pat me down, find them, and cancel the interview? Um, but I put them in the lapel of my uh, uh, sports jacket and uh, took the risk, and I got through, and we, uh, I began to interview Assad about many things. This was the first interview Assad had given since uh, President Trump's election, um, and I raised the issue of the photos, and Assad did something that he often does when confronted about um, unpleasant facts about his regime. He'll say, do you have the documents? Do you have the material? And sure enough, he said, do you have the photographs? And I said, I did. I think we have a clip from that interview um, we can play now, and, and, and you can also hear uh, Assad's response. Not the first time that very serious human rights uh, uh, allegations have been made. Just last week, a uh, woman in Spain, Syrian, um, filed a lawsuit uh, accusing nine of your senior government intelligence and security officials of human rights abuses. Her brother had disappeared in one of your prisons. Um, the you asked about documents. The lawyers who have filed this, accusing your government of human rights abuses, um, have collected 3,000 pages of evidence mm -hmm. and over 50,000 photographs taken by one of your former government's photographers mm -hmm. showing emaciated, tortured bodies mm -hmm. in your prisons. Who verified the pictures? Who they verified that they're not edited and photoshopped and so on. Have you seen the photos? No, I didn't. Have I you didn't. seen the photos? No, no, no. I saw, I saw some photos in a previous uh, reports. But it's not about the photo. How, how can you verify the photo? You have said that the... Do you have a photo? I do have the photos. Can you show it to me? Yes, I'll be happy to. Here. Okay. This photo, uh, yeah. have you verified who are those? I you should, can you tell because, you... Because you have it and because you mention it in, a, yes. uh, in front of your audience. There's a number of you photos. You have to you convince wanna... your audience. You cannot mention such a picture without verifying who are those and where and everything about it just to put it in front of the audience, tell them, oh, they, they've been killed by the Syrian soldiers. The woman who filed the lawsuit, the Syrian woman who filed the lawsuit, says she saw her brother in those photographs. At the end, these are allegations. We have to talk about concrete evidence. At the end, that's, that's how you can base your judgment. It, Not that anyone can say whatever he wants. You said that you believe these photos may have been doctored. Um, the US State Department gave these photos to the American FBI hmm. crime lab, digital lab. They examined these photos and said the bodies and scenes depicted, this, these are 242 of these images, the bodies and scenes depicted exhibit no artifacts or inconsistencies that would indicate they have been manipulated. As a result of the above observations, all of these 242 images appear to depict real people and events. Who said that? The FBI. Have you seen their report? No. When was that? 
That was uh, yeah. 2015. Yeah, the question when your institutions were honest about what's happening in Syria. That's the question. Never. For us, never. So we don't have to rely on what they say. If the FBI says something, it's not some, something, it's not evidence for anyone, especially uh, for us. The most important thing, if you take these photos to any court in your country, mm -hmm. could they convict any criminal regarding this? Couldn't they tell you what, what this crime, who committed? If you don't have this full picture, you cannot make judgment. It's just propaganda, it's just fake news. They want to demonize the Syrian government. In every war, you can have any individual crime. It happened all over the world, anywhere, but it's not a policy. Well, that was a perfect uh, made-for-television moment, um, uh, asking you to provide the photographs which you had. Uh, and then, of course, um, he dismisses it as fake news, uh, a phrase that uh, uh, we've heard before um, and that is um, it, it, increasingly part of the playbook of, uh, of dictators around the world. And not just dictators, also a president of the United States who John McCain didn't want at his funeral. Thanks to Muav Mustafa for joining us on this episode of Buried Treasure. Don't forget you can subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And also, tell us what you think. Leave a review. We'll talk to you on Friday. Thank you.